are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by Gareth Aird, our Head of Australian Economics. Gareth, good to have you on. Hey Belinda, how are you? I am good. Restrictions are slowly easing in New South Wales. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, so things are looking a little bit brighter at the moment. They are. They're looking. They're looking up, and um, yeah, within a few weeks, we should be out and about much more than we are right now. That's right, and we'll see how the economy evolves from there. So today, you and I are going to have a discussion around inflation, but inflation in a, in a sort of a, a different context and how it may be formed. So, I spoke last week to our head of international, Joseph Caperso, who talked about the inflation outlook in the US and how we're certainly likely to see pick up in wages growth and uh, underlying inflation there. There's big debates about whether or not inflation will pick up. We've always been on the side where we do expect inflation to pick up faster than what the Reserve Bank of Australia is. But you've come at the inflation outlook slightly differently in your most recent note, and that's about how we've seen such a strong lift in household deposit growth over the COVID period and where that may actually lead to a lift in inflation. Kind of what was the thinking around looking at it that way? Well, look, as you say, the inflation debate is front and centre at the moment. I think that's only going to pick up in Australia uh, as we head into next year and the economy reopens. So I think it's worthwhile already thinking about how these inflation dynamics might play out. And, you know, what what we found over the COVID period is just so much um, has changed and we've done things mm. so differently and we've done a lot of things for the first time. And that means I think we're going to see some unusual um, you know, outcomes as we as we move forward from here, particularly with regards to inflation. Um, we, we've talked in the past about how much income the government mm. has put into the household sector. Well, I thought it was worthwhile having a look at you know, how that sort of, how that dynamic is unfolded in terms of the build-up in deposits and savings, how that's been funded, um, the mm. Reserve Bank's I- involvement in that, and we can get into that, but yeah. basically you know, money printing, we'll, we'll just put it out there, and then how that might then feed through to higher inflation. I think you know, a lot of analysts and the Reserve Bank themselves tend to look at inflation through the lens of you know input costs, uh, particularly wages mm. and spare capacity, inflation expectations, and you know, then any sort of imported inflation. But what doesn't tend to get a lot of airtime is the money supply. Yeah. Uh, I think that matters, and, and that's kind of feeding into our view where we think inflation will pick up ahead of what the Reserve Bank is thinking next year. So we'll get to how all this ties into the money supply shortly, but as you said, we have noticed the big pickup in income growth that has come through to the Australian economy over the past 18 months. That's been funded by fiscal stimulus, which has partly uh, been helped by the Reserve Bank's uh, quantitative easing program, but certainly what we've seen is a big pickup in deposits and they've grown faster than liabilities. They have. Very, very unusual dynamic. Mm. Um, household deposits have risen very quickly over COVID um, because the government's been putting a lot of money uh, into household bank accounts. And then, of course, uh, we haven't been able to spend because we've been in lockdown on and off uh, for, the, for the past 18 months. 
Um, and in the past, we've seen you know, household deposits grow, and, and that tends to happen when credit growth is, has picked up because you know, loans create deposits. Yeah. What, what we've never seen, though, before is a period of sustained growth in deposits that has not been matched by a pickup in credit. And that is all because the government is push, pushing money uh, into household bank accounts, basically, yeah. and there's no matching liability. So for all these households um, that have seen you know, their deposits rise, well, if it's coming through from um, government-induced stimulus, that money doesn't need to be repaid. And a lot of it obviously have, hasn't been spent because we've been in, in lockdown. So you know, we think we're looking at um, an increase in deposits by the time we get to the end of this year of $120 billion mm. above and beyond what, it, what normally occurs, which is extraordinary given there isn't matching credit growth accompanying that. And that to us means you know, there's a huge buildup of, of money sitting there that, that can be used to support the economy uh, once it's fully reopened. So then the question is, what are people doing with that money? Like, how are we are saving it, but are we also repaying debt? Well, yeah, I mean, at the moment, the, the money that's sitting it's in the deposit account, well, no one's done anything with that, mm. which is sort of why it's sitting there. But um, it's probably worthwhile saying that we have talked in the past about this huge build-up in savings mm. uh, over the COVID period, and that's actually different uh, to a build-up in deposits. So I'll, I'll just sort of take yeah. our listeners through um, what I'm talking about there. So we, we think about savings as being the residual between uh, income and spending. Um, and that's what we've seen over the COVID period through the national accounts has been extraordinary. And by the time we get to the end of this year, we think that that residual is kind of worth above and beyond what would normally happen of around $230 billion or 11% of GDP. That is different though to deposits. Yeah. Um, deposits are basically a stock of money sitting there. And we think that figure is, is lower, as I said, the, the $120 billion. And how you can reconcile the two is that a lot of households have been accelerating their debt repayment through the COVID period. Uh, in fact, um, particularly on the housing debt front, you know, we think households have paid, or by the time we get to the end of this year, we'll have paid around $75 billion more in terms of housing debt repayment than they would have without COVID. So around an extra $4 billion a month. So that kind of explains why the, the figure we estimate for savings is bigger than the stock of deposits. Because if you're paying back debt, effectively you're transferring money out of your deposit account to put it on, on your debt, and, and that actually kills the deposit. So it's a it's an unusual kind of dynamic. But but what the picture we're sort of getting is that you know, of those savings, you know, a decent chunk of them has been have been used to repay debt, uh, and that's obviously good when thinking about future consumption. Because if a household uh, is carrying less debt, they're more inclined to to spend less of their uh, more inclined rather to spend more of their future income. But in terms of the stock of deposits. I mean, that is still extraordinarily large. Um, you know, that, that, that can fund a lot of future expenditure. And I think, you know, we're going to see that when the economy is reopened and a lot of households can go out and deploy some of these deposits because um, they didn't really choose to, choose to save them. It was just a function of what you can and can't do at the moment. And that's, I think, going to have an Im- impact on inflation when we get further down the line. So we, we know the role of the federal government in all of this has been to provide the income support through to the household. We've seen that through the COVID support payment, uh, which is still in place now, particularly in the lockdown states. But what about the Reserve Bank's role? Like how have they been caught up in, I guess, this intersection of fiscal policy, the build-up in deposits and also potentially, and we'll talk about that later, inflation? Yeah, look, interesting question. Um, so the Reserve Bank has basically been doing a quantitative easing program or a bond buying program whereby they're creating money 
um, to buy government bonds. So what we basically have have taken place over the pandemic is that the government is pumping huge, huge amounts of money into the economy, into households and businesses to support them. And at the same time, you know, the, the government is borrowing the money to do this. At the same time, the Reserve Bank is buying these bonds, which is in effect indirectly giving the government the money in which to push into the economy. Um, now, this is a very unusual dynamic for us here in Australia. Um, yes, in a mechanical and operational sense, the two arms of policy are independent. But look, if you step back and just conceptually have a look at it, the RBA is printing money. Um, it's going through an intermediary and then it's ending up in the government and they're funneling it in, into households. Um, now, there's lots of people out there who've sort of been advocating for some form of monetary financing or MMT mm. uh, for a while. And you know, th- this isn't exactly that. But if you look at it, sort of conceptually, it's it's quite similar. Um, the only difference really is that the Reserve Bank owns these bonds and at any point in time they can sell them and reduce that, that money supply that they've created. But they're not going to be doing that anytime soon, if ever. Um, and so, you know, what, we, what we've had is this kind of extraordinary increase in, in money supply, which has not been accompanied by a commensurate lift in private credit. Um, all this new money's ended up into the economy, or ended up sitting in bank accounts, yeah. I should say, it hasn't yet found its way into the economy. And we think when it does, it's going to bring about with it a lift in inflation. And the funny thing is, the Reserve Bank governor himself said that you know if you go down the path of monetary financing or the Reserve Bank uh, or the central bank giving money to government to push into the economy, you'll, you'll get some inflation off the back of it. Yeah. Well, we, we completely agree. Uh, we think that's going to happen. It's just that he's sort of, because he's looking at, I think purely the mechanics, yes. mechanics of it, not sort of appreciating um, what impact that increase in money supply might actually have on the outlook for inflation. So the, the Reserve Bank Governor himself has said this kind of no free lunch in relation to this. So we mm. will actually see some impact. It has to be paid for somehow, the lift in government debt, I guess the expansion of the central bank's balance sheet. So how does it impact on inflation? Well, I think it impacts on inflation to the extent that all this additional money, a big chunk of it's going to find its way into the economy. Mm. Um, that's going to create more demand for goods and services. Businesses will respond to that by putting up their prices and then you get higher inflation. Um, you know, we, we run several models to yeah. produce our profile for, for core inflation. Uh, and the reason we do that is it's you know, often that not one model in particular can, can capture that you think the, the profile that you think is appropriate because um, at different times, you, know, you want to put weight on different things. So you want to have a look at inflation and the outlook uh, from it from a few different perspectives. And if we run our model that has uh, money supply as one of the inputs, uh, as well as the other key inputs that I spoke about earlier, well, we can see core inflation getting back to the middle of the Reserve Bank's target ban by mid-2023. And that's very different to what they're forecasting. Yeah. on. They're, they're forecasting it to be just 2%. By, by that point. Um, you know, another way of thinking about this is that the Reserve Bank is not expecting any inflationary impact from what it's doing in terms of money printing and pushing into the economy. Um, and just even intuitively, you know, that doesn't feel right to me. Um, you know, if someone said to you a couple of years ago, um, the government's going to be running deficits of several, several hundred billion dollars combined, and it's going to be financed by the RBA creating new money, well, your immediate response is, well, that's going to generate some sort of lift in inflation. So we think we will get that lift. I mean, even that model of inflation isn't even taking into account 
some of the issues we've got around the supply side of the yes. economy at the moment. Yeah. Um, so you'd have to say there's there's even some upside risk there. But look, I'd be amazed if all that has taken place over COVID doesn't generate some lift in, in underlying inflation as we go through next year. So we're happy with our May 2023 rate hike call for the RBA then? Look, we are. I mean, the, the one thing that you know, um, leaves me sort of not fully convinced on that, I mean, we have to have a view, but yeah. the, the question is around what's happening with wages growth yes. at that point in time because the Reserve Bank has been very adamant that in order for inflation to be sustainably within the target, target band of 2 to 3%, you've got to have wages growth running up around 3%. Mm. And in a lot of ways, I think it might be more challenging, challenging to get wages growth up to 3% than it will be to get core inflation within the target band. Um, but having said all that, the Reserve Bank Governor did also say we it, it's an inflation target that we have, not a wages target. Mm. So he's sort of having it both ways, saying we need higher wages growth, but then it may not be a necessary condition if it turns out to be the case that inflation is picked up for other reasons. And I think that's what's going to end up being the case. I think that um, you know wages growth and inflation will probably converge, so there won't be too much in the way of real wages growth. But if it converges around that 2.5% mark, well, then the Reserve Bank's hit, hit its inflation target. Other central banks are most likely to have been raising interest yeah. rates by then. And I think you know the Reserve Bank then has the window to normalise the cash rate. And, you know, that's... That should be the appropriate response once you've uh, met your inflation target. I'm sure they'll be keen to try to get some buffer built in. Yeah, look, that, that's exactly right too. I mean, the next time a, a shock comes around, I mean, heaven forbid, we're already talking about the next potential shock. But you know, the, the, if the Reserve Bank doesn't have the capacity to cut interest rates at that point in time, well, then they can't really stimulate the interest rate sensitive parts of the economy like they would like to. So, yeah, there's a case there as well to be made for trying to normalise policy as soon as you've, you've got the opportunity to do so. Gareth, it's been great to get a different take on how inflation may come into the Australian economy. Appreciate your time. Nice to chat with you, Belinda. Now you can read Gareth Aird's report on the fiscal expansion finance by money creation will generate inflation on combankresearch.com.au and that was published on the 29th of September 2021.